This morning we're kind of finishing up our series on uh, morality. Ephesians 5.3 says, Let there be no immorality even named among you. And we've looked at a number of things. And as I was um, uh, preparing this series on uh, purity, morality, one of the subjects that kept coming up was was the subject of gluttony as, as, as a sin of the people that... Uh, um, that we needed to deal with. It's been in the news the last couple of weeks all about the, the um, presidential candidate's health. Uh, and in those health discussions, uh, it's been brought out several articles I read uh, where, where the Donald says he needed to lose about 20 pounds. And then, of course, everybody's saying, well, it needs to be more than that, you know, and goes on and on. And then um, Hillary was brought up. She didn't even want to tell people what her uh, height and weight was. I think most of us don't, you know, uh, and I've started taking some surveys of you, and I haven't found one single person that really wants me to preach this sermon. You would prefer that I preach about anything else but this subject, even though we know that surveys have been out for a long time that about 70% of the American population is overweight. I just don't find much discussion in that epidemic about well, what does God's Word say about the matter. I think if we have some patience, we can learn a lot from the Word of God on this subject that's not being said so that it's not really being addressed in a way that gives us the success we want. Nevertheless, I can still hear you say, why does it have to be such a big deal? Why couldn't you do something else? Well, I've been wrestling with that question. Why is this a big deal? And as I was thinking about it, I remembered Adam and Eve's first sin. The sin that plunged the entire human race under the curse and under the wrath of God. That sin occurred because of a craving for food. That's a pretty big deal. That sin pushed them out of the Garden of Eden and all the blessings there because they couldn't deal with their hunger and thirst for... And by the way, it might be worth noting that they weren't craving fast food. It was some type of fruit, not bacon, just saying. Okay? And it was forbidden, and they, they craved it, and they sinned out of the Garden of Eden. God had to promise sending a Redeemer, and the Redeemer comes because of that sin. When the Redeemer shows up, He does life completely different. Adam and Eve missed this. John 4, if there's really a theme verse for this message, it's this one. John 4 verse 34 says this is quoting Jesus Jesus said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work Jesus said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work I would bet you are a very rare 
individual if you have ever memorized and meditated upon that verse. John 4, 34. If, if Adam and Eve had gotten that verse, I'm here in the Garden of Eden. I'm here to do the will of God, not to crave my own will. If they had gotten that, life would have been so much sweeter for you and me. Hey, life will be sweeter for you and me if we get the verse. My food is to do the will of God. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. I want us to think about God's will, God's food, God's uh, cravings for us. And if we do, we'll see the focus is not on how we look, big or small. The focus is not on how much you eat, a lot or little. If you think that's going to be my focus this morning, you're missing it. If you think that's the focus of the Word of God, you're wrong. The focus is not on how we look. And I think because we've made that the focus, we just want to avoid the subject. But when you look at this sin in the Word of God, the focus is not on how you look. And the focus is not on how much you eat. The real focus is on what is it that takes us away from the worship of the true God and His will. And many times it is food that takes us away from the will of God instead of us saying, no, my food is the will of God. My food is given to me to accomplish His task for me. I think as a nation we've completely out of focus as a church sometimes we're completely out of focus and we avoid this altogether um, there's a different way to do it and that's to hit it head on see what God has to say and I think when you hit it head on you'll see that God defines gluttony differently than we do as a matter of fact I started to call this message but most of you don't look at my messages ahead of time so I didn't need to but I started to call this message the skinny glutton because that's one of the things I learned, is that you could be very skinny and still be a glutton when you define it the way God does. I lost 30 pounds getting ready for this message then to find out I couldn't escape it, this sin from body size. Changing your body size, changing your body shape will not enable you to escape the sin of gluttony. Because the sin is in your heart. You can still worship food. You can still make it your idol when you're skinny. You won't escape it by being smaller. And you won't escape it by just eating less. So, be patient with me. Let's work through the scripture and begin to define this sin the way God does. Then you can find victory over it. Because we've been so led astray by Satan and his world that we have missed how to really deal with this. Seven verses, seven passages in Scripture deal with the sin of gluttony. Let's look at them all real quick so we get a definition and then we'll uh, get some application from it. Deuter let's start Deuteronomy 21, verse 20. Deuteronomy 21. 
elders of his city. This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. First three passages I give you associate gluttony with excessive eating and excessive drinking. But it's also dishonor to parents. You see it here is the, the parents bringing their son before the elders because of his excessive eating and drinking. Look at Proverbs 23, verse 20. Proverbs 23, verse 20. It says, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty. And drowsiness will clothe one with rags. There again, you see, it's just it's shameful uh, to uh, be so given to drink and to food. And that person's going to come to poverty. Titus chapter 1, verse 12. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Chapter 1, verse 12 says... One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Verse 13, this testimony is true. So again, presenting gluttons as somebody that's lazy, not responsible to do their work, um, not uh, giving themselves to the right things uh, in a shameful situation. A couple other passages, Proverbs 28, verse 7. He who keeps the law is a discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. Obviously, again, the whole shame context is there. Also, gluttony is contrary to the law. It's those who keep the law are those who have discernment. And Matthew 11, verse 19, it's also in Luke. I won't share them both, but two parallel passages. Matthew 11, verse 19 a description of Jesus. Matthew 11, verse 19 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Um, Very important that you see Jesus was described as a gluttonous man. Why? What, what, there's several things there. Everybody understood gluttony to be sin. I've showed you the text where gluttony is a sin. But something very important about the two places in Matthew and Luke, where people look at Jesus and say, oh, he's a glutton. What does that tell you? That tells you, first of all, you cannot determine a glutton by the way he looks. Because Jesus was not a glutton. Jesus was not a sinner. He committed no sin. So he can't be a glutton. And you can't figure it out by the way somebody looks. Because we don't know how Jesus looked, but if we saw him, we might say, Oh man, he's a gluttonous. And we would be wrong. If you try to define this sin by the way someone looks, big or small, eat a lot or little, you can't. And a lot of people want to do that. Well, I know that's a gluttonous person. 
You can't do it. God has designed us of every shape, God and size. God loves diversity. And God has not made us all to look alike. He doesn't want us to look alike. As a matter of fact, I think one of the reasons he doesn't even tell us what Jesus looks like. A lot of people want to picture him. And that picture you have of Christ in your mind is wrong. They looked at him and they saw gluttony. And that was wrong. God doesn't want us to be the same size as Jesus. He wants us to conform to his righteousness. And that needs to be our focus. But be extremely, I just can't say this enough, be extremely cautious in your heart, in your spirit, with your eyes, to look upon somebody else and to condemn or judge them and say, gluttonous. You will probably be wrong. I don't mean you can't show discernment. and You can't know somebody by their fruit. All of that's true. But be very cautious and careful. Because this sin is not defined by how someone looks or by how much they eat. So let's get a simple definition. Gluttony is the worship of food. Gluttony is loving food more than you love God, than you love others, than you love the Word of God. From all the texts we've read, that's the definition that comes out. That, that I love others. I should love my parents. I should honor them by how I eat and drink. I shouldn't be gluttonous son. There's an honor for people. We should love our parents more than we love food and drink. We should love others more than that. We should love God. Our food should be to do His will. His word should be higher than our food. Gluttony is loving food more or in a greater way than we do God. His word, or others. Let's be those who define it the way God defines it. Now, why do we need it to define it this way instead of the way the world defines it? Or the way maybe many preachers define it. I, don't, I haven't heard any preacher preach on this subject because most of the preachers I know, well, they're gluttonous. Okay? Why don't we define it the way God does? We define it as outward looks. As a result of that, we start condemning people and judging people, and we want to avoid the whole subject because that's, that's mean. But let me give you two reasons why we must define it God's way, and we can't define it as just outward looks. Number one, because God commands feast. There are times when God commands us to eat and drink excessively. So if I sit down with you and you eat and drink, it's amazing to me sometimes I sit down with a very skinny woman and she eats me under the table. I say, how does she do that? She's, she's stored up. She's waiting. This is a feast, and she gives it all her heart. There's times when God has commanded us to eat and drink excessively. So you can't look at that and say that's sin. I'll give you one example of the feast in the Old Testament where they did this. Deuteronomy 14, because some of you are looking at me like, Ugh, he doesn't do that. Yes, he does. Deuteronomy 14. This is uh, when they had to travel so far to... To go to church. So God says, you got to bring your tithe. And I know you got to go such a long ways. This is what you can do. Because um, their tithe back in those days was their crops or their, their animals. Deuteronomy 14, verse 24, he says, If the distance is so great for you that you're not able to bring the tithe, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you when the Lord your God blesses you, 
Then you shall exchange it, your tithe, for money, and bind the money in your hand, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. Now, notice what you spend your tithe money on. You come to church. Your tithe should go to the local church. It should be spent by the local church. Well, some of the things the local church was doing in those days was a feast. They met together not as often as us, and so you spend that tithe on, on those things. Verse 26, you may spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, because you sold your oxen and sheep. Whatever your heart desires, for oxen, for sheep, or wine, or strong drink, or whatever your heart desires, and there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. So there's a feast. God commanded them, get together kill the fatted cow, kill the ox, find somebody who's got beer and wine, spend the money that you need for this Christian fellowship, and enjoy yourselves in my presence. You can't look around the tent and say, well, that's gluttony. No, this is obedience to God's command. We're not doing this because of our love for food. We came all of this way brought our tithe all of this way because of our love for God. The love for God was greater than the love for food and the love for drink. And it must be, or then we are gluttonous people. Secondly, not only should we define it this way because God commands feast, we have to define it this way because otherwise the focus is outward instead of inward. Inward. And God's focus is inward. Man sees the outside, God sees the heart. Otherwise, our focus is on people's size and shape, and we start to condemn and judge, and it creates pride and condescension, and that's, none of that's what God wants. God wants us to show love and compassion and gentleness and kindness. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace patience, kindness. That's what God wants. We define it wrongly. It really messes us up. It's messed up society. It's messed up our success being able to deal with it because we get so outwardly focused and miss the heart of what's going on. So the skinny person can be a glutton. That's the person who's so preoccupied with food what they can eat, how much they can eat, whatever, that they've begun to worship food more than they really worship God. And the larger person can also be a glutton because they don't avoid food. They take all the food in. Either way, it's a worship of food. But it's not about your size. It's about your heart. Is your food, is your real food to do the will of Him who sent you? And to accomplish the task he's given you to accomplish. When you start thinking about tasks, some people need to be larger, some people need to be smaller to do the task that God has given us. He's given us callings and he's built us for, for those callings. A different subject. Well, hopefully you begin to see gluttony is the love of food greater than your love of God, his word or others. So why do we need to eliminate it? Let me give you three reasons, not just how to define it, but why we really need to cease our worship of food. Because, first of all, God is to be glorified by our physical bodies. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 
19 through 20. God says, Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We don't just glorify God in our hearts. We glorify God with our physical bodies as well. Um, Lack of control of our appetite is not glorifying to God. Now I realize there's there's some in this room that have struggled greatly with using their bodies for God's glory. You're on certain medications, you've got certain diseases, you've got things that, that stimulate you differently than the rest of us. We still need to, to focus on how can we use this weak, sick, diseased, whatever body for the glory of God. God is to be glorified in our bodies. First uh, Corinthians 9, verse 27. Paul talking about himself as, as a preacher, and I'll come back to this verse, but let me just give you the end of it. He says, verse 27, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. First time I memorized that, I, think, I guess it was the King James, New King James translation. It says, I buffet my body. And we're not talking about the all-you-can-eat bar, food bar, okay? I buffet, the word buffet there was not buffet, although it's spelled the same, I believe. But the word buffet means a sharp blow to the flesh, you know, bam, that, that just rattles your cage, so to speak, was, was the language Paul's using. And maybe the word discipline is good there. It's, I struggle with the word, I'm sure, as the translators did. How do we communicate that? But it's clearly Paul saying, I must, I must take control over my physical flesh. I must discipline it, and it must be disciplined to such a degree that I won't be disqualified after having preached to others the truth of God. One of my prayers uh, this morning, I said, God, I so want my, my manner to be right. I don't want my manner to lack grace. Never want my manner to lack grace so that you miss the grace of God. It's so easy that, that there's things I can do, you can do, that obscures the truth of God. And that's what Paul was saying here with his, with his flesh. God, I want to glorify you in my body. I, I need to discipline my body in such a manner that it doesn't disqualify, it doesn't obscure, it doesn't hinder the true message of God. We need to eliminate gluttony because there's plenty of times where it's clear to those who we talk to we're not glorifying God in our bodies. We're not disciplined people. We're not thinking really about the will of God. We perhaps have our own agenda, and it's not the will of God. Um, it comes clear to folks we just have a endless craving for food. And what we need to do is get to the place where we crave after Christ. I mean, I crave after food three, four, five, six times a day. I'm not the only one. Do you, do, do I crave after God four or five, six times a day? Is my love of God greater 
than my love of food. God says it's got to be. Paul says it must be. I must glorify God with my body. I must be those, the one who's saying no to food and yes to Christ. My food must be to do His will. Second reason gluttony needs to be eliminated is because food is never meant for worship. If it becomes worship, it's an idol. It's a power that controls us. And it sh- we shouldn't be controlled by anything other than Christ. Christ is our Lord. Food's not our Lord. Christ is our controller. Look at Philippians with me. Philippians 3, verse 18 and 19. Powerful statement about those who are not in Christ. Philippians 3, 18 and 19 says, Many walk of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross Christ, whose end is destruction. Here's a phrase I want us to circle. Whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. I've been around people who glory in their eating and drinking. They're proud of it. Even though in their sharing it exhibits that food is their God. Food is their idol. Their God is their appetite. They... Rather than eat to live. You see the difference? We have to eat to live. This is a necessity. If I don't eat, I die. So we eat to live. But some people switch that around and they live to eat. And then it's not necessity, it's idolatry. So do you live to eat or do you eat to live are you one who's shameful where your your god's your appetite are you one who is a necessary follower of christ and seeking all the energy from food that you can gain in order to accomplish his will and his desires for you third food should not inhibit our love for people our parents or others. Food should not really inhibit our ministry. Our ministries to God and to others. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 21. This is the passage where uh, we, we get our largest commentary on the Lord's Supper. And the Corinthians were messing it up. And one of the reasons they were messing it up is because they were gluttonous. They were not only messing up the Lord's Supper, they were messing up their covered dish meals. So that's what I want you to see is um, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 11 says, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Well, yeah, it is. They were eating the Lord's Supper, but he says that's not your focus. should be, but it's not. For what's your focus? In verse 21, For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one's hungry, another's drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? What was going on? Paul says, you come to church, and you hang out there with this covered dish meal, and you look around, and you see what everybody's got laid out. And what they got laid out, quite frankly, just doesn't look as good as what Mama makes. And what Mama made you was, you know, fried chicken and potatoes. 
And so you look and say, uh, what he's got, I, I don't want that. So you start eating as quickly as you can your fried chicken and potatoes. So you don't have to eat their stuff. And you eat so much, they can't get none of your stuff. Even though you brought it to share. Paul says, that's just wrong, 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 wrong. Why? Because you should be loving one another. You should be ministering to each other. Have you ever seen our food line, and you kind of looked over and said, oh, i got to get some of that. And you see the line, oh, i got to get in line quick. Somebody's getting that. Have you ever done that? I've done that. I've committed the sin of gluttony, meaning I cared more about that food than I cared about you. Sin in the church. I've done it. Many of us has done it. Our ministry needs to be to others. We're saying, I, I'd, I'd rather be in that line and eat than I'd rather stand by you and encourage, find out what's going on, and care about you. That's what was happening in Corinth. That happens to this day. Um, that needs to be eliminated. That's the sin of gluttony. It keeps us from ministry to others. This whole idea of uh, loving food more than we love people. Well, Jesus made a big deal about it. Uh, look over at Luke 10 when he sent out the seven, 70 disciples. Luke 10, 7 through 8. You can fellowship more ways than dinner of eight. But I wonder if more of you have not signed up for dinners of eight because of the whole subject of food. It's become such an obsession with us. Look at uh, Luke 10. Verse 7, 8, 9 says, stay in that house. He says, when you go, you know, you're going out to minister. He's sending out 70 disciples. Stay in the house you get to. Eating and drinking, and catch this. This is what I want you to focus on. Eating and drinking what? Whatever they give you for the labor is worthy of his wages. They're, they're giving you food that they have because um, they appreciate you. So eat, eat whatever it is. Do not keep moving from house to house. Why would you do that? We say, I'm kind of getting tired of their food. I want to go, go get something else. Maybe I can get some more. I met somebody else that's got more. He says, no, no, no. Verse 8, whatever city you enter and they receive you, again, it says, eat what is set before you. Jesus was dealing with their heart. You're not in this ministry for what you get to eat and drink. Eat whatever is set before you. But, but Jesus, I don't like what they set sit before me you know they're they're gentiles they, they sometimes put before us dirty unclean unkosher stuff jesus says, no 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 eat whatever they put before you because you're there to minister you're not there to judge and to condemn and to put them down you're not there to just satisfy your own appetite show them you're there to appreciate them and to love them and be grateful for what they set before you. Don't complain about what is set before you. I don't know how many times I've invited somebody, let's, let's go get a, get a burger or let's go get a drink. Uh, let's talk, pray, disciple one another kind of thing. And had this righteous person say to me, Ooh, I would 
never put that in my body. That's like eating or drinking pollution. Ugh. And I'm thinking, okay, I think you've got a problem with food. I think you've got an idol. I think you care more about that food than you care about this fellowship. Because that became something that just immediately divided. It's so awkward now. Okay, well, you pick where we go and what we eat. It was never about the food and drink. It was about ministry. But we are to the place where we've become so particular about what we eat and drink. We won't have people over because we're afraid they won't like what we eat and drink or we don't want to give up what we eat or drink to like what they want to eat or drink. And, and we've made food our love instead of people and instead of God. And we've got to, to get to the place where we, we see we're sinners who need to repent of this obsession we have for either getting food or avoiding food. food. See, the sin is both categories, the excessive amount or the little amount. Our worship, our love is for food over God, so that needs to go. How do, how do we get rid of it? Giving you six things here, strategies to eliminate gluttony. Number one, you must begin by accepting God's view of food. God's view, not the world's view, but God's view. What is God's view? Mark 7, verse 19. Mark 7, verse 19. And the Jews who were going out to minister to the Gentiles had to deal with this perhaps more than we do. But it's just as great for us now. Jesus said, Mark 7, verse 19, says, uh, he says, they were talking about what kind of things went in and out of their body and different food. And he says, verse 19, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. Jesus declares all foods clean. I've lived long enough to hear plenty of people say, oh, that food is unclean, it's bad for you. Uh, I remember the days when they said, sweet tea is the best thing that's going, but quit using saccharin tablets. How many people used to, to sweeten their tea with saccharin? Um, I did. My, my folks did. And, and, you know, we put, I think, one saccharin tablet to every gallon and at least two cups of sugar, you know. And you made sweet tea, and sweet tea was supposed to be much better for you than alcohol or something else. And then about 10 years later, another study comes out and says, ooh, unclean, unclean, unclean. You're going to get cancer if you keep drinking so much tea. And then there was a study just a few weeks ago that came out and said they had bribed certain Harvard researchers and years ago saying uh, sugar was good for you, not bad for you. And now all these people who have been saying using sugar instead of saccharin would have been better off maybe using saccharin than sugar. Like, ah. You get in this rat race of what's good and what's bad. God's already given us the authority. God says all foods are clean. That is not the authority according to your doctor, your mom, your dietitian, your research article. That is the authority according to God, your creator, your designer, your sustainer, your chief physician, your healer. Your redeemer, your friend. God says, 
I declare all foods clean. It doesn't... It, so if you're dealing with your food obsession, it's not about what food. Whatever food you like, that's fine. Now, obviously, if you've got some allergic reaction to certain things or it's tearing your body apart, it's just prudent to avoid those things, okay? I'm not talking about prudence here. The food is still okay. Maybe it's not okay for you, but it, it's still okay. God says so. And we need to accept God's definition that all food is clean, that it's not going to pollute your body. So it's not about the kind of food. It's about the amount of food. It's about the worship of food. You're not going to eliminate your sin of gluttony until you accept God's definition and quit bowing to certain foods being the authority or bowing to other people as being an authority over God. To worship God first, you have to have God and His Word first. And for some reason on this subject, people just don't want to go there. Number two, we must confess discontentment with God's design and patience with God's journey for us and grumbling and complaining. Let me show it to you. Numbers 21, 4 and 5. Numbers 21, verse 4 and 5. People of God, says, Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. That's where I got my language. We've got to confess our impatience with God's journey for us. Verse 5. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this miserable food. Wait, 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 wait. I thought you said there was no food. Now you're saying there is food, but it's miserable food. So which is it? What it is, is you're discontent with my provision of food. You don't like it. You don't like it enough. You're also discontent with the journey. It's taking too long. And you want it to, to happen quick. Basically, you're saying is, you're discontent with me. You worship your own comfort, your own belly, your own appetite more than you worship the true God. Do you need to repent? Start here. Repent of your discontentment with God's plan for your life. Do you know God's plan for your life in, uh, involves you having hunger pains? Did you notice in this text God is not sad that they, they hunger and thirst? He designed for us to hunger and thirst. That, that's good for us. He didn't say, well, I, I'm trying to give you enough variety and enough, you know, different things on the salad bar here so that you, you never grumble and complain. He didn't say that. He, said, I'm not try he didn't say he was trying to delight us with such a variety of food. He said, your problem is what I am giving you, the portion I'm giving you, you're discontent. You're, you're demonstrating that you really don't love me as much as you love certain foods, you're craving stuff back that you used to grow by the Nile River instead of what I provide for you now. Uh, 
we're not going to eliminate gluttony until we confess that we are under God and His authority, His design. And he has a plan for our lives, and we need to submit to it, even if it involves not what we enjoy eating, not what we enjoy drinking, or not the quantity or the quality. There's times when God will give us something different than we would have picked for ourselves. Number three, trust God for self-control. Trust God for self-control. You know the fruit of the Spirit. I spent a lot of time teaching it. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. What's the last one? Self-control. One of the things the Spirit does in us is gives us a power from on high. Gives us God in us. So that we have power and strength and authority to master our own bodies. To buffet them and to bring them under submission. And to live differently than the world. We can't expect the world to live the same standard we can live. Because they don't have the same power. We have the Holy Spirit within us. I love this passage. Let me just show it to you real quick. Look at Luke. Uh, I think it's chapter 11. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount here. Luke chapter 11. In Matthew, says it a little bit differently. I want you to see it here. Luke 11, verse 13 says, you know, it's this whole thing, knocking it'll be open to you, asking it, you'll find, seek, all that. And he says, now, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He says, you ask your mom and dad for things. And quite frankly, you don't have a very good mom and dad. They're evil. And even though they're not the best of moms and dads, they still give you good things because they do love you. He says, now, if you've got evil moms and dads who give you good things, how much more will your heavenly Father, who's not evil, who's holy, 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 if you ask Him for something, what's He going to do? He's not only going to give you good things, He's going to give you power from on high. He's going to give you His Spirit to control you. I love in the last, uh, uh, this is in Luke 11, last chapter of Luke, Jesus tells the disciples, stay in Jerusalem until you've received the Spirit, until you've received power from on high. He says, you've got a life to live and you can't do it without the Spirit. Do you, do you want victory? Quit treating your diet plan as though you're a victim, you're not. You're a victor in Christ. We have freedom to, to accomplish victory over this sin because of the Spirit within us. So ask, if, if you're in need of control, ask for God to send you the Spirit, the fruit of which is self-control. And you will begin to experience power. I mean, that, that you've not had before. To, to turn, God wants you to turn from your idols back to the true and living God. You've defined gluttony that way. It's, it's worshiping food more than worshiping God. God is in this with you for your success. You must trust God for the control. Number four, remember that the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. What is it? Romans 14, verse 17 gives it very specifically. It's in a big, good, big context. But Romans 14, verse 17, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, 
but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you read all of Romans 14 up into there, uh, in the church they were, they were condemning one another. They were judging one another, saying, well, they eat this or they drink that. And, and Paul is making a big argument. Quit, 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 quit condemning. Quit not accepting. Quit judging. Quit being so prideful and condescending. The kingdom of God is not about this stuff anyway. It's not about your eating and drinking. Why do you, you make these rules that people need to eat and drink like you? Quit. The kingdom of God is not about your rules. It's about God's righteousness. It's about being at peace with God and with one another. What is it going to take for you to get that? You keep looking at the outward and judging when you need to be looking at the inward. And becoming more righteous and God-loving, filled with His peace. We must remember the kingdom of God is not about our rules. You need to eat this, need to drink this, need to do this, 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 and this. It's not about that. Abandon our rules. Abandon our personal condemnation. Learn to love others. I don't want anybody to go out of here looking at people outwardly and saying, gluttonous. You can't figure it out that way. And the kingdom of God's not about that. Uh, we all struggle with sin. We don't need to be condemning one another. We need to be helping one another, be edifying one another, ministering to one another. Um, and if we're doing that, we're going to find success in how we glorify God in our bodies. Number five, accept the need to buffet our bodies with reachable goals. I said I'd come back to this Luke chapter 9, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We looked at verse 27, but let me back up and read verse 24 to, to the end. And you see Paul making reference to specific goals. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Paul says, in other words, I come up with strategies that work. I don't just, I don't just fly off the handle and hope for the best. If you want success in buffeting, disciplining your body, come up with with reachable goals, prudent goals, goals that make sense for you. Yes, it can involve accountability. Yes, it can involve certain diet plans. Yes, it can involve counting calories. It can involve all sorts of things. Just make sure it's something you can do, something you can keep doing, something you can do and win at um, and succeed at. Um, the formula is easy. If you... If, if you're part of that 70% of America that's overweight, whatever your normal calorie uh, intake is, that's your normal. Eat less, 500 calories less per day than you, normally, than, you, than you normally eat. And you will, guess what? You'll lose one pound a week. That's the formula. I don't know why they just don't tell us that. But see, that's a hard formula. 500 calories less every day? To lose just one pound? So you got, if you did that and create a whole new lifestyle, 
you could potentially lose 52 calories, excuse me, 52 pounds in a year. But you know that's not going to happen because you cheat. We all cheat. You cheat one day in the form that doesn't work. So you just see that 20 times during the year, 20 weeks, you may lose 20 pounds. It's a long process when we're giving ourselves over to just caring more about the food than we really care about God. I know it's difficult. Uh, Paul says it requires a lot of discipline and a lot of exercise. If you ever gone to the doctor, my father-in-law did this, said, Doctor, what do I got to do to lose weight? He says, I'll write you a prescription for it. You know, he gave him a piece of paper, and it just said, um, uh, move more, eat less. You know, that's the prescription. We all know that. That's not rocket science. But it's, it's, it's 90% eat less. Now, some of you are gluttons not because you eat too much. It's because you're obsessed with certain kinds of food. And you worship certain amounts and certain kinds. So the gluttony can be both ways. But um, it requires an enormous amount of discipline. Number six, I just throw out there because of what I've just said. It's hard to glorify God with our bodies and eat the right thing because eating is a necessity. We've got to do it every day. Because it's so difficult, Satan, you know, the Scripture says, I don't want you to think I'm unaware of Satan's schemes. This is one of Satan's schemes. I called it, what did I call it? We must not listen to the martyr syndrome. Temptation. Satan tempts us with what I'm calling the martyr syndrome. This is what his voice sounds like. It's easy for David to do it. How many of you think it's easier for me to lose weight than you? Come on, every hand goes up, right? You just do. And Satan feeds on that. Satan will feed you. His voice says, oh, it's easy for them to do it. It's not, they don't have the issues you've got. They don't have the dependencies you've got. They don't have lifestyle. They don't have the job you've got. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It's always harder for you than somebody else. And Satan feeds you with that. Even though it's not true. He feeds you with that lie. That's his scheme. Why? Because that enables you then to rationalize your sin. It's just too tough for me. It's just not fair. It's my cross to bear. I just have to be overweight. I just have to. Because it's so much harder for me than anybody else. And you may have been listening to that. But you don't find that in Scripture. That God says, you know, I'm going to let you off the hook because... It's harder for you. But that's, that's what we begin to believe. Or it's just not my constitution. It's not my makeup. Satan is a master at scheming and tempting us. It all comes back to loving God more than food. Loving God more than fudge. Loving God more than salad. Loving God more than beer. Loving God more than whatever. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His task. We as a church have a, a distinct privilege in taking the Lord's Supper every week. And the Lord's Supper could be an additional 
tool to, to, to really help us in what we eat and drink. So I want you to think about that with us this morning. I thought about making, you know, doing two or three sermons, but I said they don't even want to hear the first one. So uh, I'm not going to go any more weeks on this. And this is the first time I've preached on this in 28 years, so you've been off the hook for a while, okay? But if I had another sermon, I would give it to you, and I'm going to give it to you real quick, Rick. It's seven points, okay, on how the Lord's Supper is a great help for you. And, you know, if, if all the Christians, if the Christian church in America, if we were those who really worship God more than food, would we not be a light set on a hill if our nation has an epidemic problem? But we don't. Would we not shine more brightly? The Lord's Supper is a, is a meal that reminds us that bread and wine are good. You know, I got the thing about the Lord's Supper. God could have said, I want you to remember my death. I want you to remember my sacrifice by fasting. He doesn't say, remember me by fasting. He says, remember me by eating and drinking. He declares eating and and drinking good. And it's a tool he uses to remind us he is a good God who cares about sustaining us and caring for us. Let the Lord's Supper remind you that bread and wine are good. Number two, let the Lord's Supper remind you that uh, we need Christ more than we need food. He just gives us a taste of the bread and the wine to remind us, I need salvation. I don't just need to be sustained on earth. I need to be sustained in heaven. He says, remember, I died for you. The Lord's Supper reminds us we need Christ more than food because of the sin issue. Number three, the Lord's Supper reminds us of the sin of gluttony as a serious sin. Christ did not just die for murder, for pride, for adultery. He died for gluttony as well. He was crushed for our iniquities, plural. This is a serious sin. This sin drove Christ to the cross, just like any other sin. It's not one we say, go, not a biggie. No, it's a big deal. The Lord's Supper also reminds us that Jesus declares victory over gluttony. He not only died for this sin, he's victorious over the grave. He's victorious over this sin. He has control for us uh, so that we don't have to live as victims. We live as victors. We live in Christ. Lord's Supper also, number five, um, provides us an opportunity to love our fellow believers. Everybody gets an equal share of bread and wine. Nobody has to pull back. Nobody has to focus somewhere else. We focus on loving one another, not on how much we get. So it reminds us of our unity. It's number six, communion reminds us that the real feast is yet to come. Jesus says, I give you this, but I can't wait to see you again. He says, this is the last time I'm going to eat with you on earth, but I can't wait to join you again. And I've got a lavished banquet prepared of the best of wine and the best of meat where I will eat with you this that we share is, is everything on earth. It's, it's an appetizer for something lavish and greater in heaven. When you give up food on earth, you're just saying, 
it's, it's only an appetizer anyway. I, I, I'm waiting for that lavish feast with the Lord. And the Holy Spirit reminds us through the Lord's Supper, that's what it is. This is a taste of Christ. This is a taste of all he has for us. It also reminds us of the beauty of self-control. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I have sometimes felt like it is torture when my, I hear my stomach growling and the elders give me that much bread and that much wine. I think that's torture. But the Lord is reminding me it's not about that much bread and that much wine. It's about all of Christ. It's not about being satisfied with the bread and wine. It's about being satisfied in Christ. That Christ fills my appetite. My food is to do His will and to accomplish the work He has given me. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for leading us by Your Spirit. We began this service saying, Spirit, You're welcome here. Enter this place. Father, the, the one sin we don't want to talk about or deal with perhaps may be the stumbling block, the obstacle that has kept us from being close to our God. Father, forgive us and cleanse us. We've grumbled and complained many times about food and drink. Father, we've shown our discontentment. We rant, we rage. We've shunned fellowship. We've excluded folks. We've become selfish. We've turned inward. Lord, we lay it down. We don't want to come to this table playing with sin. We ask that you would take our sin, remove it far from us. Let us come to Christ and rest in Him. Forgive us and cleanse us. And let us be unified that the kingdom of heaven is not about eating and drinking, but it's about the righteousness of Christ. It's about peace in your spirit. It's about your fullness. Let us experience it now. Let us celebrate you, our Redeemer, our Lover, our Physician, our Sustainer, our Creator. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.